This bonus episode was brought to you by the Gakoids over on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. And now, on to the episode. What's the matter? You don't believe in magic? Oh, when you do. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Sometimes it's best to keep an open mind and be ready for surprises. The story I've got is about three kinds of people. People who believe in magic, people who don't, and people who should. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this story. The Tale of the Super Specs. <laughs> this will be a great prank. Oh! Greetings, Gakoids! Welcome to Splat Attack, a 90s podcast overflowing into the slime-filled past. I'm your black magic magician, Brett. And I'm your April Fool's prank master, Cortland. Now, Brett, I know you enjoy yes. things of the occult nature. Are you comfortable, are you comfortable handling some black magic? <laughs> of course not! This isn't a real spell book. You know, I'm just having a little fun. And what's more fun than reading a few made-up magical spells? Mm. Just having a goof. Black magic isn't something to be toyed with, you know. That reminds me, where's Alex? Uh, he was called away to another realm uh, on business. Should I be worried? Nah, he's fine. I'm sure he can handle himself. Well, let's just get some novelty items and leave, Brett. Besides, I've got dinner with my family about an hour. Hold on, hold on. Let me try one more thing first. I got a spell up my sleeve, okay? All right, all right. Just be all quick. Right. Okay. Diskdap itrovaf ruoi si katkada taus. Back to me, sticks and clean. Huh? Wait, where am I? Brett? Amethyst? What are you doing here? I don't know. Well, we're going to be doing an episode for you, so you might as well join us. <laughs> oh, and I see Sardo's there, too. Whoa. Ah. Wait a second. This isn't my room. Mom? <laughs> Mom? No, it isn't. You're actually here on Splat Attack with us again, Richard. Welcome back. Wow, it's great to be back. Yeah, we're taking yet another trip to Sardo's Magic Mansion, but this time we're revisiting a Are You Afraid of the Dark classic from season one, The Tale of the Super Specs. Oh, I like that episode. Indeed. We'll, we'll definitely get into the nitty gritty of it. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so while I first search around for some more items, what are some of your earliest and most vivid memories of this episode? Speaking for myself, <laughs> I, I know that, uh, I had a I had a fabulous time. I had a blast on this uh, on this episode, which was the first um, 
and it was all going to be the only appearance of uh, of the Sardo character. Uh, mm -hmm. So this was the first for me, and uh, uh, I just had a great time with this character. And, and I was lucky enough, fortunate enough, that DJ McHale, uh, the, um, uh, the creator, if you will, of uh, of Are You Afraid of the Dark, he um, he allowed me just to to have some fun with it because he's a fun guy. He's a smart guy. He's a fun guy. He's got a great sense of humor. Wonderful writer and 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 director. And he had Ron Oliver directing and who also allowed not only me but the cast to, uh, you know, to uh, yes, the, the script is there, but it's not chiseled in granite. And if you want to go in a, uh, a, a certain direction uh, that's maybe not on the script, um, he allowed you that freedom. You had to pass it by him first. Uh, um, but it was uh, it was just a wonderful experience. That's great. Yeah, I I'm actually kind of curious how you got into the role of uh, Sardo at Are You Afraid of the Dark? Was it something like you auditioned for or heard about from him? Oh no, no I uh, auditioned for it. There was uh, there was quite a few of us that auditioned for this uh, for this particular episode for that particular character for Sardo. And I remember at the time I had um, I had long hair and I I didn't want them to see that, so I had tied it into a ponytail and then tucked it in, so it didn't look like I had anything really. And um, so they told me I could go wild. And they said, well, we see you like, you know, have long hair. and We're going to put a wig on you where you can, you know, you just be like this mad magician who's not very good, but he's just mad. And uh, so I just took the ponytail out and it was like, ah! OK. And, uh, and then we uh, we sort of went on with it. And uh, it just it was, the audition itself was was a lot of fun. You know, once in a, in, in a blue moon, for me anyway, once in a blue moon, I come out of something going, you know what? No matter what happens, I did the best I could. And, and nobody in, in life can ask you to do anything better than your best, right? Mm -hmm. Especially yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So I knew when I walked out, I didn't know that I had the part, but I knew that I did the best audition that I was capable of doing at that particular juncture in time. And I had a wonderful time with that audition. And I was just blessed to, um, to get the role. Tay time's over. Bye now or bye now. Yeah, it looks like it was a, a real hit with fans and it was mm -hmm. popular enough to allow you to come back for future Sardo tales. Yeah, it was based on, on that, on, uh, on super specs that uh, people liked uh, and responded very well to Sardo. And let's face it, he's the comic relief. I mean, it's, uh, it, yeah. it is what it is, but so much fun. <laughs> and, um, uh, so so he, he, the character came back for, it was like nine episodes, I think, in total. I may be wrong, maybe eight with the, that double one. Uh, mm -hmm. So that, that's possible. It was nine. And then they uh, got a hold of me to do the reboot. So, yeah. Wow. I, I can't imagine what it's like. Um... For Are You Afraid of Dark to not have Sardo. He's just such an iconic character in the stories mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, you can't help but fall in love with him, whatever magic tales are woven around his shop and the cursed object of the week that he has. Is there a Mr. Sourdough here? That's Sardo! No, Mr. Accent on the dough. Hey, can I ask a question? Go for it. I'm probably going to do this a lot. <laughs> to, to Richard. Dear Sardo, may I ask, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but um, where did the Sardo voice come immediately on the audition, like you said, when you let your hair down, or was it more yes. like it developed? How, how did the voice, and also the just the, the characteristics, how was that character development for you? 
Well, again, you know, it's 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 not often that, that you get to do a character that's that freaking broad. It's it's like it's like can I say freaking? <laughs> uh, it's a, it, it it was very much like a cartoon. I mean, that's what they the way they sort of described it to me uh, that he is the most animated of the of the characters. So don't be afraid. Usually, you got to pull back, pull back, pull back. Don't be afraid to go big. Mm-hmm. Go go as big mm-hmm. as you want. And we see him as being somewhat educated, but just not very good at what he does. <laughs> You know? yeah, right, um, right. So that's that. That voice just sort of came in the in the uh, the audition. It's not quite. It's not. It's not quite British. It's not quite uh, Connecticut. It's like a mid Atlantic <laughs> away. Um, so yeah, it was it was there in the room that 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 voice came out, and I just kind of played with it. That's all. That's great. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if uh, they ever did an animated translation of Are You Afraid of the Dark Sardo would just be just as natural in animated form as he is in live action form. Just because of right. his yeah. energy oh, that he's got. so big and grandiose. And and he's just... sort of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that needs to be a thing. I was showing them earlier that I did some stickers of Super Specs, and I actually have a little Sardo right here. <laughs> so that, that's like a taste of what he would look like. Oh my gosh. Right, we need to get the the fans of this lovely community because I, I know there's artists out there they need to do their best like sardo like uh, like cartoon interpretation and oh, it yeah. has to have your eyes richard like because your eyes and your eyes and your hair are what i remember the most I... <laughs> there's quite a few sardo fan out out there on the internet so there there is somewhat of a demand keeping the sardo spirit alive i know i couldn't believe it i i really couldn't uh, anyway, it's it's I'm I'm so happy. I really really am because it's just a, um, uh, it's a uh, it's a role that just, a gift. If that that role was a gift, and it just keeps on giving. Uh, there was a small convention, a sort of a um, an Are You Afraid of the Dark thing that was done on uh, Halloween. I think it was two years, it may have been three Halloweens ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ross Hall and I, we were there. And uh, this is just, this is like, I'm, I'm not comparing it to anything in any way, shape, or form, but I, it was just so, for me, my hand to God, I was so unexpected. They called me and told me that it sold out in less than an hour. This theater, wow. this big theater in Toronto. Yeah. And wow. I pulled up. Yeah, they they had said they put me up at a hotel, and I took the cab from the hotel to to the theater. And I swear to you, I got there, and there was a lineup outside the door and around the block. I couldn't believe it that there was still that many, that, you know, there were that many fans, and it was just it was packed. I mean, packed. And they showed a, a couple of episodes, and uh, and then had his, you know, sign autographs and that kind of thing afterwards. But it was just, it was just wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And was it like all ages? Yes, it probably was. Yes, mm-hmm. it was probably all across the board. Yeah, exactly. It was the the, the you know the the parents, let's say, and uh, and 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 their and their kids who you know been watching the reruns mm-hmm. and all that. That time the reboot hadn't started yet, just shortly mm-hmm. afterwards, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was an audience of all ages. It really was. It was fun. Yeah. True testament to uh, how the character has lasted all these years. Because mm-hmm. I think around like 2016, 2017, we started to see a little bit of a resurgence. And then, of course, with the reboots, it, it really brought the show back into the forefront. And a lot of fans who saw those went back and saw the original episode. So it's exactly. it's getting a second wind now in uh, pop culture history. That was also the last time I saw Aaron, as a matter of fact. Yeah, um, I remember people. that. Because I was working on my Scary Tales book at the time, and I was actually interviewing him for it. But um, unfortunately, my letter never got to him just before he passed away. And I remember that being a tough day and talking to DJ about it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, he'll, he, he is missed. Yeah, very nice. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Cortland, do you have any significant or like vivid early memories of this episode, Super Specs? Well, I think when Super Specs came out, I was like four years old. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was a kid and watching Nickelodeon and stuff, I didn't really care for the episodes that dealt with like older kids as they were when I was younger. So when this episode would come on, like I've, I've seen it a lot and I love it now, but I didn't care for it so much as a kid. Uh, nothing against you, Mr. Sarno oh. over there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was one that I would uh, frequently turn the channel on. Nowadays though, I love it. I mean, I just watched it today. It still holds up really well, really great episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, shame on me, I guess. Yeah, See, <laughs> That's okay. you got more educated. Oh yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> I didn't used to like carrots, you know, so I understand, I understand. But yeah. you're supposed to say, Cortland, you're supposed to say, you know, I just didn't care for everybody else but Sardo. Oh, oh yeah, Sardo. <laughs> That's the best part of the episode. They weighed him down in the episode. <laughs> the other cast members, though, they did great. Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I got to say, though, like, um, doing the podcast that I do, we've done every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So it was such a joy to see you come back every single season. I didn't watch much of season six and seven. So having you come and do episodes with it, it was like, you know, seeing an old friend again. So mm-hmm. it was really lovely. And I'm then so having glad. you come back for Curse of the Shadows, I mean, yeah, that that's the best part of the whole game, season. Though. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> you can find the most interesting items in my shop. Uh, all you need to do is ask. Uh, Amethyst, um, what are what are some of your early memories about Super Specs? Okay, so um, the one thing that that really struck me when that because I think I saw that episode like when it premiered, um, mm-hmm. and because it was all brand new, I was so excited. I was watching it with my older brother. And the first time that I saw those shadow people and I saw them reaching for the television, I literally like I didn't make a sound, but I quietly got up, went to the door, kept watching the TV, but just kind of watched the TV from the doorway because I would see things like that at my old house. And of course, I always got the, oh, you you have such an active imagination and it's just your imagination. It's just the shadows. It's just the lighting. It's just this, it's just that. And I'd be like, no, no. And now I've seen them on TV. So I know this is a thing. This is a real thing, y'all. It's, it's, mm-hmm. They're here, I can see them. <laughs> so that's the first memory I have. There, there's a quite a bit of, Oh my God, they're real. Yeah, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> we'll, we'll go into it a little bit later when we when we talk about parallel dimensions and such. But uh, there there mm-hmm. is some internet lore that has survived the test of time about like shadow people appearing at night or in dreams, um, oh, yeah. trying to connect with humans. But uh, that's just scratching the surface for now. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a <laughs> little taste of things to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> as for me with super specs. Um, it, I most of my memories are pretty hazy of uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark back in 1992 because I like Cortland was about four or five then. Um, I only really remember Phantom Cab, Dark Music, and Pinball Wizard the most vividly of those tales, um, just because they left a strong impression upon me at the end of them. But when I revisited Super Specs later in the 90s, and also when I rediscovered the show in the early to mid 2000s before college, I'm like, whoa, what is this? How did I not see this before? Not only because it was just amazing to see 
something like this that no one really talked about around me, like the concept of alternate dimensions and shadow people and black magic and stuff. But also because um, it, it was terrifying to think that these are just like ordinary people in some sort of like void blanked out. Like you can't see any of them at all. They're just all enveloped in darkness. And that, that used to freak me out a lot when I saw it because it, it caused my imagination to run wild, think, oh, what if this is possible? And, you know, they're showing up all around us and I can't see them, but they're like staring at me and trying to replace me with their version of me. So yeah. it, it's, a, it's a pretty wild um, story that really roots itself into your mind the more you think about the implications of what's going on with the story. And uh, mm -hmm. that's why I still revisit it today. It's just, it's a lot of fun. There's lots of colors, as you can see in my background and in Cortland's background, and two characters who really should know how to use black magic better. <laughs> <laughs> I am very, very embarrassed for this guy. Uh, we actually have a couple of fan questions that were submitted to us, just a couple, um, who are friends of the podcast. First, we have Marley Mook, who asks, uh, what was it like to work with Aaron Tager in the Cutter's Treasure episodes? Oh, it was it was wonderful to tell you the truth. I'd seen Aaron, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd seen Aaron uh, before on stage um, doing, um, gosh, I can't remember what the hell heck it was now. It was Noel Coward. I remember that. Uh, him and his wife, um, Ann Page, I think her name was. Uh, yeah, they. Uh, I'd seen them on stage um, and had met him informally. Um, but then uh, certainly, you know, watching the show and, you know, seeing his Vink character and all the rest of it, I, I uh, it was just a pleasure. It was a real thrill to work with him. It really was because we finally, these two characters that the, the fans knew so well, finally met. Right. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It really was. It was a nice wink to everybody. It was a it was a lot of fun. And uh, at that time, I forget where we were and uh, as to how many episodes each of us had done. But I mm -hmm. do remember this because I bugged him about it. I beat Aaron by one episode. <laughs> by yep. the end of it, <laughs> I'd done one more than him. And I never let him forget it. <laughs> it. It was just, it was really wonderful, wonderful working with him. I do remember the two of us uh, squinting a lot. Uh, I don't know if I haven't seen it in quite some time, but it was a, an unbelievably hot uh, and very bright day for some of the scenes that we did outside. And uh, I remember just, you know, where the camera would be set up where the sun was, I guess they needed it for lighting, it was literally right in our faces, right in our eyes. So I remember Ooh. squinting a lot <laughs> during a lot of the outside <laughs> shots. But that's, that's what I remember. Listen. What other little adventures do you think we might be able to cook up together? That, I'll have to go back and look at that. Oh, yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. That and uh, Vink's beard kept, uh, it was so hot that his uh, beard kept melting off, sort of. You know, the, uh, That's right, because um, the only time his beard was real was in the Tell of the Phantom Cab when he first played Vink. And then after that, they he shaved it off for laughing in the dark, and then he just used a prosthetic beard. Uh, That's it. Interesting. It was, yeah, yeah, so hot, his beard gum just started, it was just melting. It was coming off. <laughs> Curse the sun. <laughs> the life in perfection. Now they immortalize my face. With the push of this button, the world will soon see how handsome I am. Yeah, I, I really wish uh, Frank's character didn't leave after season four, but unfortunately, Jason Ali Sharin um, was going to college at the time and couldn't be on set anymore as the storyteller. But, uh, if he was in season five, do you think they would have actually had a team up episode again? Uh, Sardo and Vink 
going at it? I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think they probably would have. I really, I really, really do. At least I like to think that. I, w- I would love to imagine what kind of adventures they get into because they're kind of like superheroes, but more dealing with the macabre and horror themed, uh, you know, scenarios. It's, you know, the fact that the two characters sort of knew each other, knew of each other. It's like Bobo and, and Sardo, you know. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Bobo. And I love that sort of wink to the other characters. I love that kind of thing. It's funny because you finally are losing on the deal. <laughs> and I thought that's why one of the reasons that it worked uh, well with, uh, with Vink and Sardo. Indeed. Yeah, part of the charm. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. That's the word charm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have another fan question from Ryan Smiga, who's an avid listener of Splat Attack. He says, did you improvise any of the lines or were they all scripted? Well, again, Ron and DJ allowed us um, to, uh, to you know, I'm not using the royal, I mean, us as in the, the cast, to, to, sh- uh, to, to, you know, stray off book, you know, every now and then. And with Sardo was much easier because again I was the comic relief. Um so um that allowed for it as long as the comedy came through. There were there were there were a few instances um well from this episode as a matter of fact that immediately come to mind uh is when she comes uh back to my shop uh and or outside it's like oh, go away we're closed today you know that thing and I said I'm sorry we're all out of vomit Sardo, I need to speak to you. I'm all out of vomit. Uh, try me Tuesday. No, expect my boyfriend by. Sorry, no guarantees. If they don't work, that's your never mind. No way. That was that was one. <laughs> that was, uh, and I made Ron laugh. So I knew if I made Ron laugh, he said, "Yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it." Uh, that and the uh, at the end, the uh, take the children. Yep. <laughs> that yes. Best line. And I that was then I could just hear Ron. <laughs> take the children. So that was, that yeah. Was yeah. It, it, I'm glad you improvised those because it's really telling of Sardo's character as just like someone who'll do anything mm-hmm. to get out of trouble and make a quick mm-hmm. buck at the expense of the kids he's interacting with. Like, exactly. And again, it was only supposed to be a one-off, right? Yeah. So He's a hack, but a lovable <laughs> hack. A lovable hack. Right. He doesn't seem to like the children he serves. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Also, why aren't more adults going into his maggot shop? I guess uh, they've lost the innocence. Yeah, I think that's part of the magic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cortland or Amethyst, do you have any other questions for Richard before we dive into the episode review? I do have a question if you don't mind. So Go for it. my podcast, Up All Night, we did all of Are You Afraid of the Dark and then we did Goosebumps. And Aaron Tagger was in an episode of Goosebumps as well. Um, oh. Candle Essence can be murder. Now, Ron Oliver worked on Goosebumps a lot. Did he ever like come to you for an episode, or did you ever have any interest in being on Goosebumps? Never. <laughs> just, the, just the way he is, Cortland. Just the way he is. <laughs> Ron and I, Ron and I are close. We really are. And uh, although we haven't seen each other in a while, I, I did. Uh, he was kind enough to offer me uh, a role uh, in uh, Dennis the Menace Christmas with Robert Wagner and oh, Louise Fletcher. Okay. I did that. Uh, that was Ron. And I also did one of the Beethoven's, uh, Beethoven's uh, Treasure Tale. Uh, oh. We did the Halifax, yeah, with Silverman. Uh, what's his name? What's his first name? I forgot the actor's name. Uh, anyway, uh, why am I saying that? That's my long way of saying what? No, Ron never <laughs> offered me anything in Goosebumps. Oh, man. What Not. would Sardo be like in a Goosebumps tale? 
Well, that I don't know. That, that, that'd be interesting. Would he be in Bad Hair Day, Cortland? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more similar to Magician's Assistant than any Sardale yeah. Tale, to be honest. Yeah, something maybe you can't afford right behind the ear. Two free tickets. You could just move that lever over there. That'll lock the blade in place. No, not that one! <laughs> That one did have Colin Mockery in it, though. So it'd be cool to see you guys together. Yeah, I mean, you got similar uh, comedy styles. It could work. <laughs> but no, that was it. He never offered me anything. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Amethyst, any uh, final questions? Uh, not at the moment, but I will okay. certainly let you know. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, if they pop up, let us know. Okay, so uh, beginning with the episode info here. We have uh, The Tale of the Super Specs from Season 1, Episode 6. Its air date is September 19th, 1992, and is written by Chloe Brown, a.k.a. DJ McHale, and is directed by Ron Oliver. Uh, and the synopsis is as follows. The episode opens not at our usual Midnight Society campfire, but inside a magic shop. Immediately, we are thrust into a close-up of Gary, carefully inserting his index finger into a miniature antique guillotine on a table. The blade crashes down, the finger pops out of the hole, and Gary's eyes widen while he groans in pain. Ugh! Kristen screams, but Gary reassures her it was just a joke, revealing his index finger is still attached. Kristen calls him a toad, then marvels at all the unique items adorning the walls of Gary's father's magic shop. She then remarks to Gary how the other members feel his story quality hasn't, has been slipping a bit as of late. Gary is put on edge by the statement, but Kristen changes the subject. She picks up a strange pair of glasses, which Gary identifies as super specs, then proceeds to stare right at her chest and go, yowza, with the glasses on. Kristen brushes his joke off and questions if Gary believes in magic. He dances around the subject, noting it's important to keep an open mind and be ready for surprises. Just then, we cut to a close-up of the super specs resting in the palm of his hand, vanishing into thin air with a flurry of white smoke enveloping them. Later that night, at the Midnight Society campfire spot, Frank mentions how Gary's stories aren't that great, but Betty Ann is quick to defend how he tells the best stories. The group squabbles for a moment before we cut to the first-person perspective of an unseen person wandering a moonlit path through the pine trees, accompanied by eerie music. We hear a voice ask, Now? To which another replies, No, not yet. We cut to Kiki mentioning how it's been a while since Gary had scared her. She gets up, coincidentally bumping right into Gary as he enters the campfire ring, and she shrieks, Jeez, you scared me! Gary apologizes for being late, mentioning David won't be able to make it to the meeting due to being sick. Eric reiterates how Gary's tales have been subpar, to which Gary challenges the rumor with a story that'll knock their socks off. He opens his tale, mentioning how there are three types of people in the world. People who believe in magic, people who don't, and people who should. Gary throws a handful of midnight dust onto the fire and declares the title of the story, The Tale of the Super Specs. Let's hope I don't get this on anything. <laughs> I call this story The Tale of the Super Specs. Shh. <laughs> I have to clean that up later. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> so we're, we're going to break for discussion, uh, answer a couple questions here. How do you all feel about this atypical Midnight Society opening sequence? And what are your thoughts on the magic tricks that Gary tries? I'm gonna just take this over. Sure. <laughs> okay, so obviously I went back and watched the. I have gone back and watched this several times as an adult, but the most recent one when I was preparing for this episode, 
I, I watch movies a lot more, you know, obviously adults watch things differently, but um, I watch things a lot more from like a filmmaking editing standpoint. And I just marveled at the fact that in the opener, they use a lot of, you know, the, the what were like some tried and true. Well, okay, let me back up. They used some things from horror movies and it was like an introduction for me as a kid into like, you know, things like the shocker opener, you know, like you're, this like gross out moment of, of the, the, you, the finger getting cut off. And then um, the uh, the POV shot of walking through the woods, you know, of, of who, the stranger in the woods thing. And, um, you know, at the time I didn't appreciate, oh, they're introducing me to the horror film aspect. But now I'm like, oh, good for that. Thank you, Nickelodeon. Y'all did a good job on that. So I, you know, it. I think that's one of the reasons why it was uh, more memorable for me because the opener appreciate those those two things specifically. You know, as a kid, I didn't, but um, I think that that's why I remember that opener more because of the, especially because of the shocker. The you know, hey, wake up, kids! Somebody just got their finger cut off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it really reels you in. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh! Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right about the the shot of uh, you know the POV of whomever in the woods mm-hmm. looking down at the campfire. Uh, it's that um, you remember those are the stories you you would tell around a campfire when uh, when you were kids about you know and uh, and it turned and they opened the door and there was the man's hook on the doorknob. You know those yep. kind of scary <laughs> stories to tell in the dark. <laughs> yeah, exactly, 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 and that's why you are afraid of the dark. Yeah, you, you yeah, never know what's that. truly lurking out there. No, you don't. Don't look under the bed, kids. Don't look under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's true. That's very, very true. I think it's a really fantastic opener. Like I said, I just watched it today, and it, I think all the jokes hit. They're all really great. The yowza part gets me a little bit. I feel like that's yeah, uh, you know breaching on like PG-13 territory a little bit there. Oh, yowza. Give me a break. Yowza. Give me a break. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's fantastic. It gives us uh, an idea of all the Midnight Society members. You know, you, you have Betty Ann being like, hey, Gary's awesome. What are you talking about? So you know that she's just the best. And uh, I think it's great. It's really interesting, too, but this is one of the only episodes that has an introduction outside of the, the campfire scene yes. besides like Silver Spy. Yeah. And refreshing to see. I wish they would have kind of done more with that. I, I talked to DJ before. It sounds like he was like, oh, Midnight Society's whatever. Let's get to the stories. But, uh, you know, us kids, those were like our friends back in the day. So, yeah, you wanted to see a little bit of their lives. Yeah, it's cool to see them outside the campfire. Yeah, we got a couple other glimpses before other stories started in season one because they're still trying to find their footing. Like with uh, Betty Ann starting like mid story with laughing in the dark. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there was the Twisted Claw opening with Tony in the bed at night and that weird dark specter creeping up on him. Uh, and it turned out that he was there even in the daytime when he woke up, which was a great way to lure kids in. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice to see that maybe once or twice more, even with just different uh, Midnight Society members, you know, going about their daily business and seeing how that ties in with a story. Maybe like Kristen could be with Elvis feeding a horse in a stable for hungry hounds or like mm-hmm. maybe David's playing a pinball machine in a mall and he's frustrated because he can't get the high score, but he uses that as inspiration for a story, even though I know Gary told that, but he was playing the Game Boy, so that's why I thought of him. Uh, just, just kind of story ties like that, I feel, are 
are really interesting, even though the Midnight Society campfire, campfire sequences are still entertaining in their own right, and, and it's like minimalism in the conversations that lead up to the opener of the tale. And to your point, it's very, I thought, very clever the way that they incorporated the uh, uh, the magic shop. The fact that it's Gary's father's yeah. uh, magic shop, and then that is actually Sardo's. I like the way that Gary brought that in, you know, in his story, mm -hmm. uh, made, uh, made his dad's shop Sardo's shop. So are you Gary's dad? <laughs> We were going to mention that later, but Cortland, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Help me out. How Gary felt about his dad? Did Gary see his dad as kind of Sardo? As, you know? I feel like that's what he's getting at. You Gary. could ask Ron or DJ about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Eh? But best not to go there, kids. <laughs> yeah, because you never see who Gary's dad or any of the parents, for that matter, look like. Exactly, so. exactly. But I thought it was, a, to your point again, uh, Brett, I thought that was a good way uh, to incorporate the, uh, the shop uh, in the real life. Gary's life and in the story. Yeah, it like primes you for the story so that it's you know exactly where you are the moment he says like once upon a time or starts the first line of it. Yeah. Cool. Well, getting back to the synopsis, Gary's story begins with a young teenage couple, Weeds and Mary Beth, visiting a magic shop to stock up on items for an upcoming holiday, April Fool's Day. Weeds picks up a velvet sack containing the dust of Denderon while pointing to a spell in a spell book underneath him called the Spell of Second Sight. He reads the incantation, Umbu Tubu Sunrade, Vinsu Vulu Bombane, while flinging a clump of dust into the air. It lands on a box of glasses with rainbow prism-like lenses as they glimmer a rainbow light from the spell. Weeds shrugs off the words, claiming it's nonsense. Mary Beth questions if Weeds is mature enough to make their new relationship last, to which Weeds replies, what made you think that? We immediately hear an off-screen whoopee cushion farting sound fill the air. She rolls her eyes, scoffs, then collects a few items to purchase with him. Not a moment sooner does Sardo, no mister, accent on the dough, appear out of two curtains hurrying his customers along. While Sardo rings up Weeds' items at the register, the immature teen waves a shrill noise-making gadget around, annoying the shop owner. Weeds notices the peculiar eyeglasses from before on the counter. Sardo mentions they're a hot item in his shop, claiming he sold hundreds of thousands of them to his customers. <laughs> Mary, Mary Beth asks, asks what they do, and Sardo replies, they may give the wearer x-ray vision. Just like Gary, Weeds repeats the same gesture from the opening and stares at Mary Beth's chest, shouting the words, yowza, and she brushes his advance off. Mary Beth puts on the specs to see if they work. At first, nothing seems out of the ordinary, but once she turns her head, she spots a dark, shadowy figure lacking any sort of features standing behind the front door display. Mary Beth is jolted by the sight and removes the glasses at once. What was that? She ponders. She looks at the same area, but no one is there. Weeds kisses her on the cheek and they leave the shop together. Continuing on with our discussion, what are your thoughts on Sardo's introduction and the super specs as a cursed object relative to you know the many cursed objects littering the Are You Afraid of the Dark timeline? In in what respect? I don't know that Sardo believed that they were uh, they were cursed. Did you mean? Uh, do you mean the fact that they were used that way? Is that what, is that what you mean? Yeah, Sardo? yeah. How do you feel in their function as, as an object that was mystical? I thought it was kind of cool because you know the whole thing with sight and glasses and looking into another dimension. I thought it was a clever use of that. Personally, I also, speaking of clever uses, I also like the kind of that that line within the lines, uh, play within a play with the uh, yowza, which I thought was a great you know recall there. You know to Gary's yowza, I thought that was great. 
Yeah, it, it seemed very much like there was a parallel, like that that moment oh, yeah. from the opening drew for his inspiration so that he can take take it and run with it, which kind of leads down the breadcrumb trail of is Gary's father similar to Sardo? In a there way. you go, because it's Gary's story, right? So that's mm -hmm. that's wonderful. I like seeing pieces of Gary in it, which yeah. I think that also demonstrates. Yeah. It's... I think my favorite part about that whole Yowza thing is that Gary just that day said it to Kristen and he was like, man, that joke was so funny. I got to tell everybody, you know, and they put it in the story. It's a real date, Ted. And clearly you haven't seen the DeSalvo twins. She's right over there, Arnie. Yowza! I'm yeah. sure everyone around Jeff, the campfire right? is uncomfortable. They're like, uh, <laughs> really, Gary? Yeah, I thought you were just over there like a perv. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. man! <laughs> I mean, it was the '90s. Take it what you will. It's it's a different time now. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, how how do you feel about the parallels between the opening of this episode and the opening of Gary's tale? I know we talked about it a little bit, but do you think it's it's suitable that he's mimicking that as his opener, or do you feel it it clashes too much, or it feels kind of flat? Like I'm wondering your impressions of how it it translates by using this as like a, a story mechanic. Well, I thought it worked. I thought it worked, actually. I really did. I like the setup very much. I like that um, what uh, what uh, uh, Anathis was saying with regard to that shocker. I love grabbing our attention and then Gary just now running with it. I thought I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was very, very good in that respect. I thought the, the, that campfire scene I thought was quite good. Agreed. And maybe maybe it's because that was the one that didn't have didn't start out like that. It started out in uh, in in the shop with Gary, you know, just having a normal conversation in real life, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it all tied in very nicely, actually. Yeah, it, it makes you take a, a double take at it. Like, wait, that's happening again. What's going on here? It's it's almost like a a way for the viewer to be drawn in even further so that we can focus on these glasses once they're introduced. I would be really, or y'all are kind of blowing my mind a little bit right now because like, I knew that this story was about parallel dimensions, but like, I've never thought about the fact that there were parallels between like Gary's life and the, the story itself. It's like, to me, even as a kid, I was like, nope, that the people outside of the story telling the story Mm -hmm. have nothing to do with the people inside the story telling the story. Now my mind's getting blown a little bit, so I'm gonna just sit with that for a minute. Thank yeah. y'all very much. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I know. That's probably why he's like the only one who who did that story framing device rather than just opening at the Midnight Society campfire. Maybe, yeah. you know, that was his ace up his sleeve to get their attention and uh, prove that he can tell a decent story instead of a weak one, which we never got to see. And it's kind of nice that they were prodding us by having people say, well, you know, his, his stories have been kind of lame lately. They've really been like, so now I think as an audience member, I'm going, okay, this has got to be good now. This is going to be good. It's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, it better be good, and it's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, he's the leader. He has to uphold his title. Otherwise, if he uh, exactly. you know, goes if he goes out with another stinker, that's it. You know, the, the kids are taking over and he's out. Yeah, that's do you true. Think that, that's true. Do you think it had, or, or this is maybe me reading too much into it, but like, do you think it had anything to do with, um, like, some of the previous episodes having ended on like lighter, happier notes, and they're mm. like, maybe we, may, maybe they're like, oh, well, you kids aren't scared yet. Buckle up. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. We will we will talk about that when we get to the ending of this. Um, but yeah, it's it's the first of its kind of the series and the season, so it, it's worth mentioning. I think a really another like another really great thing about this episode is that I mean obviously we get Sardo for the first time and it's just iconic, but another really great thing is Weeds and Mary Beth. Um, you know they've been in a relationship. It's been two weeks, but even so, like they have this um, like biracial relationship, which I think is something that really wasn't seen a lot in the early '90s. I've had fans come to me and and say like this is the first relationship of that kind I've ever seen on on TV, and I, I'm pretty sure Are You Afraid of the Dark won awards for that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. It's really awesome. Like, really profound episode. Weeds, we've been seeing each other for what? Like a long time now, right? Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, yeah. very pro very brave. It was very good. Very Progressive good. for the time. And I think they, yeah, they won a Cable Ace Award for that. So it, it shows you what kind of uh, outside-the-box thinking they were coming up with, you know, before is more mainstream. Yeah. True. I'm glad we brought that up, Portland, because the, I was one of those people. Like, that was the first for me. Like. Oh, yeah? That um to see interracial dating and I was like, wow, this is awesome. They're Wait, cute we can couples. date other people outside of our what? own skin color? Exactly. Like <laughs> so that was that was yeah. very cool. Planting the seeds. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> For the age of Aquarius. Yay. <laughs> the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Yes. <laughs> oh geez. Are we gonna break out in the song now? <laughs> yeah. I think we should. Uh, I don't know all the words to it. <laughs> I'll just put a clip here. That's okay. I am an Aquarius, so I like have listened to that song so many times. I'll just karaoke uh, for you. Karaoke. <laughs> Good times. So getting back to the story. The next day, Weeds is reading a bit purple book on voodoo spells and Snickers with Delight. He sneaks up on a couple of girls nearby in the schoolyard by hiding behind a tree. He spots one of the girls eating yogurt. Once she puts the yogurt down on the grass, he stealthily grabs it, pulls out the bag of magic dust, enchants a spell as he sprinkles and stirs the dust into the yogurt. Weeds puts the snack back in its original spot, but at the last second trips forward in front of the girl he's pranking. A few pleasantries later, the girl eats the yogurt while Weeds fakes a grin at her. Puzzled and perturbed, the girl demands, what are you looking at? With his hopes dashed, Weeds leaves the scene believing the dust is ineffective. However, the magic actually had a delayed response. With another gulp of yogurt, the girl actually talks with a high-pitched chipmunk voice. Moving on to the second prank. I just gotta say, gag boys, don't do that. Don't don't put stuff in people's yogurt. Yeah, yeah don't don't roofie the yogurt. Yeah. Yeah. Weeds would be arrested. Yeah, yeah. The things you could get away with in the nineties. Oh yeah, seriously. And they never saw weeds again. Are you trying to kill me? Since when you use my fire escape as a front door? Since the gang has been starting chasing me all over town. Also, why is he named Weeds? Is that like a <laughs> reference to marijuana? <laughs> I asked DJ Mikhail that, and the mm -hmm. weird, like, um, no offense to the people that they're named after, but these are all like DJ Mikhail's friends that he grew up with. Yeah. Weeds was one of them. So was Jam and Day Day. Day Day, yeah. <laughs> Poor Day Day. Ouija. Sardo as well. <laughs> right, Sardo, Sardo. Too. Sardo was a uh, Sardo was a laundry detergent. Yeah, that's right. The, the, <laughs> sun, the soap suds. Yeah, that he remembered. Oh, Joe figure. Yeah. Oh wow. So moving on to the second prank, Reeds clings onto the corner of some lockers, donning both of the specs and a sinister grin. Once again, he's up to no good. We cut to his classmate and friend Mark opening his locker to be smashed in the face by a plastic retracting fist. 
Mark jumps back while Weeds runs up to him and stitches laughing. <laughs> the classmate asks him what the glasses are about and Mary Beth informs him they're super specs. Mary Beth puts them on for a second time to demonstrate how cool they make her look. Except now she sees a mysterious lady all in black pointing at her in the school hallway. Mary Beth rips off the glasses, genuinely confused. She mentions the sight of the lady in black to Weeds and Mark, but they dismiss her claim. We cut to a bike rack outside, waiting for the young couple to approach the rack. Mary Beth is annoyed that Weeds doesn't believe her that she's seeing strange figures whenever she wears the glasses. Weeds retaliates that she thinks she's a doofus, or he's a doofus, for falling for such an outlandish idea, and doesn't want her to reaffirm that self-inflicted insult. Mary Breath doubles down, stating every time she puts on the specs she sees, before she can finish her sentence, the lady in black from the hallway appears before her once again, this time in front of a large tree, pointing directly at her like she had before. Mary Beth nervously removes the glasses and tells Weeds to look at the tree. Oddly enough, once he puts on the specs, he doesn't see anyone there. Mary Beth pleads she's seeing things as she puts on the specs a third time. The lady in black reappears, causing Mary Beth to scream in terror while the camera snap zooms into her face. We can't handle this kind of anxiety anymore, and she chucks the glasses into a nearby trash can. Weed shouts, hey, and then looks at the glasses puzzled. For these scenes, why do you suppose the super specs only work for Mary Beth and not Weeds? Like, what would, you, what would you do if you were in her shoes if she kept seeing things but no one believed her? I like to assume that she can see him because she accidentally inhaled some of that monkey bone dust, so the magic got inside of her. That is, that is one, one explanation because she was right next to him when he just covered everything with, with the dust of dendron. I feel like Weeds is actually a magician, but he is just not patient enough, right? Like, and so other people experience his his magic like we haven't gotten to it or have we gotten to the basketball i don't know went with yeah, the yeah. basketball and then with the yogurt i'm like mm -hmm. if he would just stick around a little bit longer and obviously i know that's part of the story but i feel like he actually is like quite a a an actual like um wizard magician person mm -hmm. um but maybe he just it's like he just doesn't even realize his own strength you know yeah hidden potential or like um you know he, he's, he has a knack for it, but he doesn't really fully understand the, the breadth of his powers. That's an interesting perspective, Amethyst. I don't know if he even believes in it. He believes in pranks and jokes, yeah. and that's his thing. So I'm yeah. like, it's very interesting that he's using spells as pranks, and the dude's a wizard, and he don't know it. So <laughs> It also shows us as well, Amethyst, that um, it, it, it works. You know the dust of it, it works it actually works mm -hmm. we the audience see that they don't see because as you just point out to your point yes he doesn't hang around long enough to see the actual result of uh, of what he's doing the um, but we the audience know that it works it works which mm -hmm. i think is just adding to you know the excitement of it yeah mm -hmm. yeah because the spell he he spoke aloud just for fun activated the super specs with the dust combining with it exactly so, because imbued the specs, it's able to... Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. When you said the spell, it reminded me of a question I had, but, but finish your point. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, I was saying because because he imbued the, the spell with the specs, he's able to get a taste of what it's like for his pranks to go to another magical level. And yeah, like you said before, if he, he was able to stick around just a little bit longer, he could see that evolution and begin to more realize the breadth of his power and 
not take responsibility for, but like be able to harness it more effectively so that he can do what he wants to do um, that's on a less petty level, if that makes sense. Well, and I think that's the, also the thing about magic, as Stan Lee said, with great power comes great responsibility. And it may be that it, it may have been the better thing he didn't stick around because I don't think he was he was ready for that kind of responsibility. No, I, I mean, part of him being a trickster and a jokester is that he takes nothing seriously. And uh, right. I, I feel like that's that's the mismatch here that's getting at a moral at the end of the story that we'll be talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's that's a roundabout way of saying that it doesn't work for weeds because he he harnesses the power of the magic, whereas Mary Beth's just receiving the effects of it, so that only she can see through the specs and not him. Mary Beth's experience, like, and I'm sure I'm sure this is like so many other fans. It was very much like my own, you know, and I think yours too. It was like she felt so isolated because even you know her boyfriend was like it's it's you know you're it's just you're just seeing things it's just your imagination it's always it was always that it's just your imagination um kind of a thing and so i think that mary beth became very much like we you know i, I put myself in in her shoes because that had been my experience now i never actually put on a pair of x-ray specs and saw it <laughs> saw cool rainbows and shadow people but i you know we'll get to that later anyway <laughs> sure yeah, I find it interesting, just as a quick side tangent, how they interpret them as x-ray specs, though I feel like uh, x-ray specs throughout pop culture isn't exactly used the way it should be used. Like, mm -hmm. when you think of x-ray, you should think of like a doctor's x-ray. So you'd see people's bones, not just oh. them with their clothes off. I don't, I don't know how that mismatch became so popular um, associated with the trope. But um, I, I like how they're taking it in a direction where it, it doesn't really do the novelty effect, but it goes beyond that and gives you something unexpected and more mm -hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. Um, okay, my question was, uh, for Richard, where did they come up with those spell words? Did they just let him do that? Did they already have those written out? What was what was the deal? Yeah, those were scripted, those were scripted. Okay, yeah. were now, they just pulled from a rabbit's hat of words or? I, I honestly have no idea. I don't know how uh, DJ got them. He may just put them together because they rhyme nicely and because they sounded exotic or uh, or magical, if you will. Yeah. Uh, the meter, though, that I could use, I mean, you know, it pretty much was rhymed out. But the play within that, clearly, I was allowed to do that. But no, they were they were uh, they were scripted. Umbu, tubu, sunrise. Yeah, that'd be a good question to ask him. Yeah, yeah, actually, it would be. This isn't even a question. I just need to point this out. We're going to okay. back it up to a sec for a second to the yogurt prank. Sure. You said he trips. Listen, I watched it again, and I had to rewind it because it, it became my favorite part. This girl actually grabs him and pulls him out from behind the tree. And I mean, the, the amount of force this girl had, she was like, meh. And he like, his body flies out from behind the tree. And I was like, yes, that is a future stunt man in action right there. Like, he Quite possibly. Like, <laughs> I mean, I said, so I said trip because I didn't know how else to explain it. But when I first watched it, I used to do Aikido as a form of martial arts back in the 2010s. And there's a move where you like grab someone a certain way by the arm and 
thrust like transfer all of their body weight into your arm so that you're actually able to flip them in the air by doing that but i don't think that's possible to do from a sitting position you have to be standing in like a in a certain stance to do that so i'm i'm just as surprised as you how he's able to do that backflip um especially with so much space where he's just like next to a tree and not in an open field yeah <laughs> Which, which makes me realize this always got me as like an Easter egg in the background. There's like a kid when we first cut to the outside yes. schoolyard oh, doing gosh, the backflip yeah. over and over and over. And I'm yep. like, what is he doing? Is he training to be on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or something? <laughs> <laughs> Fighting the putties? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. That also reminds me, my gosh, what was going on with the ballerinas? The scene oh, yeah. where Beth and her boyfriend are walking out, and there are these girls, and they're legit. They're doing their plies, they're doing their little tondus, they're doing the ballet arms. And I was like, why do I not remember that? Because I did ballet when I was a kid. I was like, why mm -hmm. do I remember seeing that? Me like, ah. <laughs> I don't. I guess I didn't notice it. And I'm like, but why were they? I was such confusion. Please, someone help me with with the confusion around that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they're Easter eggs or just extras doing what they normally do at school. It's it's unclear, but uh, we'd love to hear if anyone has any dirt on that for the for the background stuff. I'm going to I'm going to assume, although you should never do this when you go down Life's Rocky Road, but I will assume that um, uh, that Ron may have said, you know, rather than talking about the four of you, because I think there was. I think it was two and two, right? They were on opposite sides, mm -hmm. sides of the door on that staircase. They were standing on the wall. I'm like, they're doing ballet yeah. for a wall. Yeah. I'm not just so and much doing, doing that. Yeah. So Ron perhaps told them, you know, rather discussing geography, which is kind of boring. We're not really seeing anything. Maybe right. you know, talk about the ballet class you're about to have, or or just came out of and okay. practice your moves together. That mm -hmm. I'm guessing, just to give it a little bit of fluid, a fluidity in it the was background. Such a fun thing, yeah, to see. In I the noticed background. that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love these threes. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, getting back to the synopsis. Cut to a game of horse being played by Mark and Weeds. If Weeds misses this next shot, he'll lose the game. Weeds turns around, secretly sprinkling a bit of the magic dust on the ball as he chants. Mark questions what he is doing. Feeling confident, Weeds shoots the ball but misses. Mark orders Weeds to buy him two sodas for losing the game. Frustrated, Weeds shoots the ball from behind him, landing a flawless over-the-shoulder three-pointer. The two turn around after hearing the swish, dismiss such a thing from happening. Meanwhile, we see Mary Beth talking to her friend Catherine about how the super specs may actually be an elaborate prank Weeds is orchestrating for the holiday. Catherine asks her what Weeds got Mary Beth for their anniversary. She replies, it was, it was some book on mummies or something. As she reaches into her book bag to pull it out to show her friend, she finds the super specs in her possession once again. Dun dun dun! <laughs> Both girls are taken aback. We fade to Mary Beth clinging to the front door of Sardo's magic mansion. Since the door appears closed for the day, she inserts the super specs into the mail slot, then leaves. Back at Mary Beth's house, we see a long and drawn out scene of Mary Beth putting on and taking off the specs to witness a series of odd appearances in her home ranging from a boiling tea kettle and a lit up fireplace to a lady in black in her bedroom and two shadow people cornering her in the hall. Once again, she screams in terror, then sprints down the hallway as the camera spins out of control. Cut back to the Midnight Society where Frank comments on how Mary Beth should have burned those specs when she had the chance. Gary informs the group all she knew was she could see the shadow people through the strange glasses. He further adds, Mary Beth dashed to Weeds and Mark at the basketball court to warn him about the specs. She puts them on again, 
and sees a group of shadow people playing basketball on the court. They all spot her, then form a line slowly walking in her direction. She screams and leaves the scene while Weeds and Mark are dumbfounded by her erratic behavior lately. So um, for this discussion of these scenes, why do you think Mary Beth can't resist putting on the super specs over and over again? Morbid curiosity for sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's like something going on with the specs due to the powder where she's like addicted to seeing these people and as a result of being tempted, it, it just becomes stronger and stronger so she can't resist like putting on the glasses? I think that's a different kind of white powder bread. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to apply that. I'm just saying, I feel like, why does she keep putting it on? It just makes me think of people who can't quit drugs or whatever yeah, the vices think, are. I think Cortland nailed it. I think it's that, yeah. that curiosity. You got to see, you, she keeps being told that it's just her imagination. It's all in her head. It's not really there. So she has to keep just seeing, you know, well, let, let's, you know, let me see, let me see. And, and sure enough, it's always there for her. Do you think they would go away if she stopped looking? Or would they still gang up on her in some way? Well, the glass, the glasses are the specs are the uh, are the vehicle for them to appear. So I don't I think that she she if she didn't uh, put them on, my guess is that uh, she wouldn't see them. Otherwise, she would in other parts. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing at that. Although they all see them at the end. Right. When when the people on the other dimension are doing the but it's right there at the very the climax of it yeah it makes me realize how important these glasses are in terms of moving the plot forward because it, it helps build a, a rising action of the story where it gets more and more intense until we get to the point yeah. of that other realm where you know you don't need the glasses anymore and then you see all these different things but i don't want to get too much ahead of ourselves because we're not quite there yet mm -hmm. um have any any of you ever experienced a moment in your lives where you saw shadowy figures and it may have turned out to be something else. Yeah, Sleep. yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Corla. Sleep paralysis demons, right? <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised how many times I actually saw the bookish babysitter King's Ghost and sleep paralysis dreams I've had just like looming over me with that wailing. So much so I did a episode on it for Splat Attack for our Nightmares as a Child segment where we would talk about like scary dreams and whatnot from the 90s. Wow. Yeah, it was intense because I have a vivid imagination, so it feels like I'm actually there until I wake up and get out of it. Um, but that reminds me, since we're talking about shadowy figures, uh, there are two instances that I can recall from my my lifetime growing up where I saw like shadowy figures and it really jolted me. One of them was in 2016 when I was living with uh, my mom and her boyfriend at the time with my brother at his house. And one of these nights, I, I had a bedroom in like the basement and it led out to like the pool area outside. So there's just like very, very little light, maybe just some ambient light from like the pool light outside and everything else was darkness because it butt up against woods in the backyard. And I just remember at like two, three a.m. I literally heard a noise like a door opening or something and I wake up and there's a shadowy figure standing in the hallway or, or like the, the threshold of my bathroom door where the nightlight is just illuminating behind him. Uh, and it's all like a whitish blue. And I, I literally like screamed, who are you? Cause I was afraid I, I couldn't make sense of what was going on. And then after like a two second pause, um, he was like, Brett, it's me, Michael, who is my mom's boyfriend at the time. And I'm like, geez, don't scare me like that. I can't even see you. <laughs> so that, that really gave me a, a, a 
a, a, quite a scare at the time. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, because he, he didn't come in with any warning. I think he was just sneaking out after after a night of partying or something and wanted yeah, yeah. to take the back door that happened to be near my bedroom. My goodness. Yeah, unexpected. Yeah, I'd uh, be standing in a puddle of my own you-know-what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily, luckily that didn't happen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and there cool. there's... There's another quick time. I don't know if this was a dream or if it actually happened because it was one of those like in the middle of the morning, it's so dark you can't tell what's happening. Uh, but I vaguely remember in my old house growing up when I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark a lot, there was like a shadowy figure sneaking around in the back of our yard and I thought I saw him like come up the stairs to go into my uh, parents' bedroom. And then I just remember seeing him when I got up to get a glass of water from the bathroom and just bum rushing him into the door and smashing it open. And then I startled my parents getting up and then I don't remember the rest. I don't know if they told me to go back to bed or uh, if there was someone actually there and my dad got rid of the person if he was an intruder. But I, to this day, I still wonder if that was like an actual robbery taking place in my house or if it was just a dream that felt incredibly real that I was acting it out. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm scared now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all thanks to Super Specs. Yeah. <laughs> giving me those ideas that shadow people exist out there. Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. But that yeah. was, I remember seeing it the first time. I always said that uh, and, and still continue to say, because uh, we're talking now 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that were, it doesn't seem intense now, but those shadow people, those, they're all in black and coming down, like the, the example that you just gave, Brett, with, uh, in the hallway coming towards Mary Beth. That was, that was, that was, that was scary. Um, are you afraid of the dark? It seems to me it was kind of like a, um, a twilight zone for kids, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> to some extent. And, uh, I remember that scene and the same one that you also mentioned with her sitting on the bed. I think she was sitting on the bed, uh, the lady in black. I mean, those mm -hmm. were, it was like, wow. And it's all like out of focus. And I think Ron was purposely shooting it very like late sixties, early seventies. That was the feel of it. Even some of his angled shots and all that. It was all like that. I thought that really added to it. And that was, it was, it was, I don't know, scary, troubling, whatever you want to unsettling maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's true. It made me feel claustrophobic just because of the tight camera angles and you felt like you're mm -hmm. being cornered by these two people and you don't know where to run except take off the glasses and find the nearest exit sprinting exactly yeah and that that was i remembered that very hitchcockian kind of like spinning the camera and and yeah. weirdly it made me it distracted me from how terrifying it was that she was having to run through those two people that were in that hallway yeah yeah he didn't yeah, have yeah. another way out and so Weirdly, the camera spinning out of control to like kind of show how she was feeling helped me not be like, You're running through the hallway, you know, like, yeah. that, very disorienting. I would have felt like that would have been making contact with them somehow, and it, I think it would have just jarred me too much. <laughs> scared yeah. yeah and the and the music too really heightened the emotions there too because it's got this weird like techno-y synth sound that just kept building in volume and complexity of layers that really really um just kind of fueled your sense of panic and anxiety of like what's going to happen i'm all here alone yeah. vulnerable with these weird people who are trying to come at me or get me first 
something I don't even know. So uh, very effective it, it, shot. It also the speaking of thank you for bringing that up because the, I remember the sound effects they they it, they had this like creepy you know spine tingle but it's like if tingles could have a sound. Yeah. That's what it, when you get those chill bumps you know. Yeah yeah um, yeah. And it weirdly also sounded like a clock ticking to me. Like a really fast, like, stopwatch yeah. clock. Yeah, there like, might have been like a. Out. Like a metronome or a drum beat of some sort mm -hmm. from like a, a drum machine that was just like keeping the beat of it and yeah yeah that that ticking feeling it, it really helps further add the sense of like doom or dread of, that's building right. and building something as getting is inevitable is coming correct yeah. or something yeah. inevitable is happening right and even foreshadowing the events that come after that because every time she puts on the glasses they either get closer and closer or more of mm -hmm. them start appearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I want to say, um, I've watched a lot of Ron Oliver directed episodes, whether it was Right for the Dark or Goosebumps. So my co-host and I lovingly call them like the Ron Oliver charm. It is pretty much in full force in this episode, and I love every second of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From the Dutch camera angles to the camera just spinning completely, yeah. music buildups. It's just perfect. Yeah, I love when he goes wild and has has fun with those elements because it, it really does enhance those moments in ways you don't necessarily expect until they hit you. Getting back to the so, story. Oh, no, oh. no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> what, what you got for us, Amethyst? So one of those questions was about have we ever seen shadow people, right? And yeah. what were we in with something else? Yeah. Cool. Can I, like, talk about that for a second? Or, or yeah, we tell scare our scary stories later? <laughs> no, you can mention it now because it's relevant to the question. Okay, so all right, the shadowy people. So first, um, I don't even know where to start because I too, um, Brett, uh, have sleep paralysis, have experienced that. So, oh, we'll start with the very first one. So there, there was. I was convinced as a child that there was a shadow person in the downstairs hallway, and it was just one of those little half bath. Uh, it was just the toilet and the mirror mm. it's so tiny tiny little bathroom I used and to i have one like that <laughs> yeah and i had accidentally gotten locked in there as a as a little bitty child right after we moved in and of course it was lots of screaming and wailing and gnashing of teeth but, but um so i was always a little afraid, freaked out by that bathroom but every time i would i would walk past that bathroom um at night and it may have really been my shadow, but I could have sworn this hand was coming out and it would, it was like the hand would go out and like come down grabbing on that marble floor and then pull back Ooh. like seconds before my foot would hit, like where it would have been able to grab. Like it was trying to snatch you and pull you into the darkness. Yeah. And then I eventually got to the point where I would just run and jump over that spot so I didn't have to deal with that. But that was one of those, it's just your shadow kind of things. Um, but you know, when you're like five, it's just your shadow is not going to suffice. That is not a good explanation for no, me. This, this ain't no like shadow from Hook where it's just Peter Plan's playful silhouette. This is like coming to kill you type of shadow that yeah. just is trying to feed on whatever it can get. 
my ankles or something i don't know but um so that was the childhood bathroom now i actually i think this would possibly happen because i saw the super specs up i had an accidental out-of-body experience uh when i was 13 and i was um i was napping and listening to the radio and it just weirdly happened and it just happened but i traveled to a location where I actually spoke to some shadow people and they looked literally like the Super Specs episode people. So I was, I think maybe that's like why they looked like that to me because that's with the only shadow person like, but that's how I described it. I was like, if you were looking at the outline of a human, but it's all black and then the background was all white and they legit had a, and I'm, we ain't gonna talk about that, but, and I remember what they, what they told me and all this stuff. And then it, the, how it ended was they like morphed back into this weird, it looked like a camera trick of some kind. I'm sure I saw it something else, but they morphed back into this like single line of dark, just blackness and like mm. went back into my body. So Whoa, <laughs> I don't know if these bizarre. were like my ancestors and something talking to me or what, but yeah. <laughs> on another Whoa. spiritual plane there wow okay so you know but um so that was i distinctly remember the shadow people and then i will finish with the sleep paralysis which um has not been shadow people but has definitely been um like a clive just a black cloud or a black uh, Grim Reaper-ish hooded figure-ish but mine um i can't actually speak in mine and that's how I know when I'm in sleep browsers is when I can't speak. Um, but they do love to try to pull me through portals and they're very rude about it. They like to grab me by my hair and pull me. I've woken oh up my with gosh. my body like moving, like, and I had to like sit up to be like, y'all ain't taking me. No, no, thank you. I don't want to. Um, but off. the last time I actually had it, it was a really great experience because I felt it lifting me out of bed for my armpits and I got real pissed off. And so I like chucked it and it like left out a portal out of my room and I was like, yeah, and stay <laughs> out. Yeah, and I haven't had sleep paralysis since though. That's good. At least you have some experience putting them in their place so they know not to mess with you. So yeah, maybe super spec somehow helped me like, you know, know prepare myself to overcome my own <laughs> shadow people. Yeah, it's possible. All right, so moving on with the story. Uh, Mary Beth returns to Sardo's magic shop and pleads to Sardo through the mail slot about the horror she sees through the mystical specs. Sardo, being Sardo, will not give refunds if nothing worked. However, he is intrigued by the object actually working. Cut to Mary Beth and Sardo searching for a way to reverse the spell inflicted upon the specs. Sardo realized that Weeds accidentally casted the spell of the second sight onto the specs, a hex enabling the people who wear them to see things on Earth from another dimension. Sardo explains that apparently there were always different beings living on Earth among humans, but we never see them because they live in alternate dimensions. He further explains how the spell that was cast onto the Super Specs also opened a window between dimensions in her house, one that has allowed beings from a parallel universe to cross over and enter their world. Some of these living beings are good, while others are evil. Sardo warns the evil ones are set on taking over our dimension. Nothing to be scared of as long as they can close the portal and cast a counterspell. Sardo mentions his services will cost $50 to help her, but the very moment she questions his pricing, he immediately lowers the cost to just $20, which he agrees to. 
Sardo scours this shop looking for the key ingredient, the dust of Dendron, which he realizes he sold to her boyfriend. We cut to weeds fed up with the pouch of dust, preparing to flush it all down the toilet from an odd toilet bowl point of view, I might add. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Mary Beth rushes into the stall to stop him, threatening that if he sends this dust down the toilet, he's going in after it. So as you may know, this is the first time we see Sardo's true character as a businessman willing to make a quick buck. What do you feel inspired the character to be pleasant yet shifty or often desperate in his demeanor? Well, it's just the fact that um, he claimed to be such a, a wonderful magician and have all these wonderful potions and all the rest of it. He didn't believe for a second that they worked, but he was hoping that the young people would believe it, and uh, and they do. And so when when things do work, he's just as, as shocked as anybody, if not even more so. So uh, <laughs> making a buck as things haven't been going that well. He may have been, I don't know, maybe he was opening in the lounge in Vegas at one point, and that's as far as he got. <laughs> it just wasn't working out for him. So he decided, I'll just open up this magic shop, and, you know, so wherever he can make a buck, he does. And what's the interesting thing about, well, you'll be the judge of that, I guess, is that he starts off at $50, and then, as you said, when he starts at well, 50 okay, 20 and then that was with it, but I'm losing on the deal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which, well, luckily, um, I got to carry forward in, in, in subsequent episodes, but he's always trying to make a buck. And when, like I say, when things worked, he was just as surprised, if not more so than anybody else. It's your nickel. Right. He probably just thought all of his stuff was like cheap novelty items that was shipped from China or whatever. And oh, he's yeah. Just, he's just trying to, you know, feed people's interest in magic, which there was a little bit of a... Uh, interest in the early 90s with like the magic works play sets that they had where like the yes. knife can go through the ring yeah, yeah. or like the, the Iron Maiden that would switch spots stuff like that little play sets but uh, I, I find it interesting how how like the more these occurrences happen in different Sardo tales the more you know he's hesitant to believe but he wants to believe and, and play along with it because he's often improvising you know the the magical nature of some of these objects where it's like the carved stone or the super specs or the dark dragon vial or the door unlocked you name it um and he's i i think i think he's he's just trying to figure out how to find a way to fully capitalize on the moment knowing that it has more value because they're actually magical absolutely a yeah. novelty item but he can't yes. quite put two and two together so you know as long as anyone's willing to bite because he rarely gets visitors in his shop apparently like maybe one two three people at the most at any given moment you know he just gives it out there so that he can count it on the books as a profit. <laughs> Done. I'll get your receipt. That's it exactly. It's not the steak he's selling, it's the sizzle, right? So it's exactly. like, then this could happen and would lead to that happening. And yeah. so he's making it up on the spot. Again, fueling into kids' imagination, which makes them want to believe that the magic is real, yet somehow causing it to be real in the process. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, we already talked about the parallels between Sardo and potentially Gary's father, so we don't necessarily need to go over that. But uh, if anyone has anything to add before we get back into the story, uh, feel free to jump in now. Definitely my headcanon that uh, Sardo is Gary's dad for sure. And his grandma. <laughs> his grandma's from Lonely Ghost. So like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All these characters are like extensions of their family, or at least Gary's family. It's yeah. all just Gary and Tucker's family. <laughs> what are you saying? There, come on! No, I'm not going in there. It's amazing how quickly things can change. I'm not wanted here anymore. 
Yeah, mainly yeah. because they're the keepers of the campfire. <laughs> Getting back to the story. That night, we cut to Mary Beth, Weeds, and Sardo holding a seance at her house while her parents are away. Sardo wafts his hands in the air while improvising a counterspell. Weeds, now the skeptic of this magic, affirms it's all bogus. That is, until the crystal ball glows right after Sardo's spell is complete. The table shakes and rattles, lifting up into the air as the living room vanishes into darkness. Mary Beth questions what's going on, to which Sardo confesses he's never done this before. Mary Beth puts on the specs one final time, trembling in fear, overwhelmed by the presence of a mob of dark figures surrounding them. Weeds quivers, take off the specs. Mary Beth pleads, but I can see them. Weeds admits with dread that he can see them too without the specs. The camera pans to the mob of shadow people shuffling ever closer to the trio in the background, closer and closer. Dumbfounded, Sardo flips through his spell book for the spell of the cosmic seal. Sardo corrects Weeds for mispronouncing his name. Weeds grits his teeth and Sardo looks deeper for the spell under pressure. He reads it aloud while Mary Beth spreads the perimeter with the dust of Dendron, demanding the shadow mob disappear. A moment of calm, the trio wonders if the spell had actually worked. However, a dreadful surprise awaits them from behind. Sardo is frightened by the sight of the sight and hides under the table shouting, take the children. <laughs> all, all of a sudden, <laughs> two massive floating eyes appear above the trio in the darkness. The disembodied eyes emanate a low pitched booming voice warning Mary Beth, Sardo and Weeds how they must pay for tampering with the cosmic seal. In order to restore balance, she states that they must close off their universe since two cannot exist on the same plane. The ice chant, Lux More, Lux More, followed by a massive gust blowing at Mary Beth, Weeds, and Sardo. Another snap zoom into Mary Beth's screaming face, then fade instantly to white. We appear to be in a house similar, if not identical, to Mary Beth's house. Two familiar yet strange kids and the lady in black enter the living room. The girl, named Arlene, who looks a lot like Mary Beth, asks the lady in black, are the ghosts gone? To which the lady removes her hood and reassures her there are no ghosts because she closed the window between worlds. The kid who looks like weeds asks the lady in black, are they gone for good? And with the same low toned voice from the black void, the lady replies, I don't think they'll be bothering you anymore. With a sharp dread inducing musical stinger, we cut to Mary Beth, weeds and Sardo all trapped in the void, which is now encapsulated in the lady's crystal ball. The end. To send off the evening, Gary gives each of the Midnight Society members a pair of super specs, just like the ones in the story. He tells everyone that they have nothing to worry about. They're just ordinary novelty glasses. At the count of three on Gary's command, the Midnight Society members put on the specs at the same time, and they notice one of the shadow figures from the story lurking behind Gary. Everyone in the Midnight Society scrambles out of the campfire pit deep into the woods. Gary approaches Kristen, who takes off the super specs with a smirk. Turns out the shadowy figure behind Gary, who approaches the two, reveals himself to be none other than David. So that explains why he wasn't present for the tale. Good one, guys. Happy April Fools. End of the episode. <laughs> wow. So closing our discussion of the tale of the super specs, how do you feel about this ending being with a negative twist compared to other Are You Afraid of the Dark Tales, typically resolving themselves with a more upbeat note? 
I personally like the fact that everyone was dissing on uh, on Gary because his stories haven't been that great, and this one was good. So I think that having that sort of a different ending, I think, fits it so well that it's out of the ordinary. It's a great story. <laughs> I love it. It's like a the end question mark because it makes you wonder, well, yeah. what's going to happen next? Are they going to die in there? Are they going to get out? We don't we don't know, and it leaves a lot to the imagination to kind of fill in the gaps. Well, I think I think we discussed this last time, I believe. So anything, they're in, they're encased in this in this crystal ball. Um, Sardo and the two kids, Mary Beth and Weeds. So anything, any appearance that happened uh, where you saw Sardo in one of the subsequent episodes was really before this happened because he's mm -hmm. trapped in that crystal ball so right. every appearance of sardo was actually done before this event right so you could say in the sardo episode chronology super specs is the last one and then something like maybe door unlocked would be before or maybe even time trap could be the first it's not entirely clear but i think we can find a way to shuffle them knowing what we know about these episodes to make some sort of cohesive timeline where it escalates to a point where you know his ignorance about the magical objects gets the best of him and he's just doomed for all eternity and there's the case in point of uh, that only being sardo supposed to be only uh, sardo's only appearance mm -hmm. that's what happens to him at the end and of course he was brought back and so that to my mind is the only explanation that everything every episode that you see with sardo happened before this one make makes sense Portland Amethyst thoughts? I will say, just like to um, kind of like an alternate ending, there that's the only other Sardo that was a woman. So all the other Sardos we've seen in the other episodes are just other parallel dimension Sardos living their life. Yeah, interesting. You were, a, you were a new Sardo in every episode. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so the woman in black was like the stronger version of Sardo who actually knew what she was doing. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask who that lady was because I had questions about her. I mean, if other Arya the Dark Tales are truly connected together, she's actually a teacher from the tale of the long ago locket. <laughs> but I don't know how she went from history teacher to black magic sorceress. It's a little bit fuzzy there. I mean, maybe she right. talked to D Dr. Oliver and Sorcerer's Apprentice and got some magic from Goth and started her own cult. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I need to be excused. Why, Mr. Armstrong? Uh, a friend of mine needs some help. Your friend can wait. I don't think they'll be bothering you anymore. Also, Sardo's alter ego, which is very interesting. I like that they distinguish her as like this mom, like this in charge mom character because she had like that gold belt or something. Like you could tell, mm -hmm. like th th this is a woman, like yeah, she's in control. Yes, she knows yeah. her stuff. She knows her stuff, so it's interesting that she that. Yeah, and that is very interesting. Okay, <laughs> that that was that was the other thing that stuck with me um, the most about this episode. Besides the the shadow people, it was that just that picture at the end of Sardo, Mary Beth, and Weeds trapped like in this. that crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly, you know, and and Richard, I, I would love to know. Like, I bet that was you know probably fun to to film but like as a child i distinctly remember that was one of the very first moments where i understood what um things being um basically i, I want to say it was just the first time i, I understood like dread mm. that kind of fear because it yeah. was like 
holy just just bleep me out you can make decisions and you can't go back and things are never the same again it was like that introduced me to that concept of life so thank you for teaching me adult lessons in a terrifying (laughs) way (laughs) but it it really that was the first time i really remembered feeling that way and i was honestly very upset because you know i liked the american style endings of happiness but for it to stay with me all these years that for that to be the thing that stayed with me i'm like that is just good storytelling yeah. because it yeah. sticks with you for so long and you remember it yeah. um, the good guys so don't we, always win in reality and i guess that feeds into that yeah. right well and and the other this i guess that overriding for not over that that um that subtle fear that all human beings kind of share of like there there is other stuff out there there is other things out there that we know not of and and the fear of the unknown is just terrifying <laughs> and what the unknown sure. can or cannot the do. ultimate fear yeah right yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and all that so it was that that's why it was act three of that episode was just whoo <laughs> that's gonna blow your wig off honey it ties back into the, those three rules right i mean it was the people who believe in magic people who don't believe in magic and people who shouldn't believe in magic so or should yeah, just at the end they shouldn't have toyed with something they didn't know that much about certainly if anything mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I, I will say i think that we talked about this i believe brett um mm-hmm. is that um you know we're going back 30 years ago uh, there was no CGI at that time. So the, us moving in the seance and all that, that was techies there. We were on a big mm-hmm. springboard platform, and they were these three big gentlemen. They're, you know, putting down on this on this weight and causing it to, you know, to, to move and shift like that. It was really quite something. You know, and the big-ass, I think they were called big-ass fans, big-ass <laughs> fans, you know, blowing that wind for, you know, for during that seance, for the video be going like this. It was all done right there on the spot. So that's that's why maybe it felt more real than, than uh, sometimes CGI does, but that was happening right there. Were you afraid you were going to, like, blow away away from the table and land somewhere in the stage? No, I didn't have that much wind on me because I was able to get out. I went, uh, oh, went right, people, right. I think, or something. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. so moving that, all that was, I mean, that's really just trying to get your balance, seriously, because it was, it was moving. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It definitely gave you that sense of disorientation. For sure. There was nothing dainty about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard, did they tell you to hide under the table, or did did you just do that on your own? No, no. They, they, they no. That was a direction for sure. That was the direction. Okay. I was telling telling uh, Brett before in Cortland that uh, that line uh, was one that they let me use. That take the children. Um, that was <laughs> that was and that icing that on the really, cake. The one, what's going to cause me to go down there, really? Because at one point it was just supposed to be me going ah and then you know jumping out of the table sort of thing so i thought that that sort of i thought in my mind it was going to help it <laughs> luckily it did nailed <laughs> it yeah, yeah okay, let's, let's do that scene again let's do it again <laughs> you mean there's more i'm sure i don't know but i'm afraid you're about to find out i'm actually curious um what what was it like to work with the actors and actresses who played mary beth and weeds throughout the tale like were they easy to get along or take direction from you like what was oh extremely oh extremely i have nothing but good uh good memories of that that's for sure though they were very very good and very professional it may not seem it from uh from weeds because that is his character right um uh, the weeds character but no he was very attentive and uh, took direction and 
he was uh they were both just they were both incredible they were very very good i have to say yeah cool well with that being said and super specs being wrapped up what are we going to give for our episode ratings of the tale of the super specs my rating for this episode it's probably going to be a little skewed here because with well, this one, I like I said at the beginning, I didn't watch it a lot growing up. When mm-hmm. it was on, I would turn the channel because I was dumb. Um, I never understood the ending until I rewatched this back in 2019. So the part where everybody walks out and they're different people, I didn't realize that they were different people. Oh, <laughs> so I didn't understand it. So thankfully, you know, Amethyst, I didn't have that existential dread for a little while until <laughs> I was like a young adult. So I don't have to worry about that. So for me, I didn't really get what was going on until 2019 when uh, we covered this episode on our podcast. So um, I love this episode, though. I mean, not to detract from it or anything. I don't think it's quite in my top 10 personally, but it's definitely between 15 and 11 for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, on a splat attack rating of F through A and then S, double S, triple S, what would you give it? I'd give it probably an SS. I think it's really good. Really solid episode. Gave us so much stuff. Yes, outstanding. I liked it. Richard, what would you like to rate the Tale of the Super Specs? Well, I would give it the highest mark possible. Triple S. All right. Splatceptional. Now, only because, and I'll tell you, only because, again, and I know that I'm majorly biased. That's okay. Uh, it, was, it was the first episode for for me, for the Sardo character. I truly, truly enjoyed the fact that I got to play a character as big and as broad as, as Sardo is, was. And uh, and that I got to work with great people. I know a lot of people say that. Oh, it was such a joy to work on this set. They were absolutely fabulous, and they were. But they simply were. Um, Nickelodeon was wonderful. Ron Weinberg, who I did a lot of work with uh, uh, before, I directed a lot of stuff for him. It, it just it was just a pleasure to work with. It was like family, and I I really enjoyed it. So I am biased. I know I like the story. I like what Ram is doing with a lot of his shots. I like that sometimes he even said it. I think on set uh, about uh, the kind of a Batman reaction. You know yep. the old ping boom pow. You know Adam West Batman that kind of frame shot. Nah, that angled. It was uh, it was for me. It was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So I am biased, and whatever the highest rating is, that's what I would give it. That would be a triple S splatceptional. Okay. Very, very, uh, very deserved. Would you say that is your favorite Sardo tale of the nine? I know that it's got a real that it has a real place in my heart. That's for sure. Um, is it my? Fa- you know what? It probably. You know, I've never been asked that question. It probably is actually. It, it, it okay. probably is my favorite episode. A splat attack first. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. We got it that. on record here, Richard. <laughs> Woo! Yes. I can tell you. Well, I'll tell you after another great experience on that uh, that series. But that's a, a different episode. Amethyst, what will you give this episode rating on our splat attack scale? Oh gosh. Um, honestly, there's not much bad I can say about this episode. You know, I mean, uh, certainly I've covered, I mean, the longevity it has had with me uh, in and throughout my life. I even um, forgot to tell you all about when I, (laughs) a very quick story about when I was in high school, I was like 18 or something. My best friend was telling me about shadow people. And I was like, girl, did you see that episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It literally came up. I mean, this is years later after I'd seen it. She was like, what are you talking about? She was like, I didn't watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I was like, if you don't watch that episode right now, <laughs> that's where you know shadow people from, sis. I know it. So um, it, it just it stuck with me throughout my life for different reasons and at different points in time. Um, 
and again, watching it as an adult, it's just, it's entertaining. It's, um, it's unique. There is a great chemistry between the actors as well. Like, um, I'm glad you asked that question earlier about how it was working with Mary Beth and Weeds because it, to me, Mary Beth and Weeds just felt so natural. Like they were good friends, like for real. Mm-hmm. That was the interview I got from them. Um, and really with, with all of the, the kids in the cast, you just felt a camaraderie, but um, gosh, literally my only gripe about this episode um, is it's the Yowza jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's nineties humor. The world is very different. Thankfully, um, you know, humor is very different. We dove a little deeper, thankfully, mm-hmm. but literally that being the only thing I, I would have to give it, can I give it two and a half S's? <laughs> uh, round up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you, let's say Splatceptional. Splatceptional. That's beautiful. This is a a chef's kiss for sure. Awesome. Hey, excellent. (laughs) You're among good company because we all rate it pretty high. I'm actually going to give this a Splatceptional triple S as well. Um, This may not be necessarily the most memorable Are You Afraid of the Dark episode that I can recall from childhood. That would go to like Phantom Cab or Dark Music, but it's certainly, you know, top 10 tier for me. Maybe even top five if I could ever decide what my four and five are, because my (laughs) top three are always going to be Dark Music, Dead Man's Float, and Dream Girl, the three Ds. Uh, But that being aside, I really love the the breakthrough premise of 1992 where it deals with more mature kind of metaphysical subjects of alternate dimensions and shadow people. Like you you don't really hear much about that unless you really dive deep into into research at the time. Um, And the, the image of it against the contrast of like daylight and being in ordinary locations that you don't expect them to be in that really as you said amethyst feeds into that sense of dread and teaches you what it's like to feel a different kind of horror that just sinks your heart down into your stomach because you're like oh i'm in danger i don't know what's going to happen next i don't like this feeling it's scary but it's like a different type of scary than just ah so i i gotta give it to that for really really hitting it hard with the punches of of the scares and really driving that home especially as like the first gary tale um it's it's one of his best and he just i guess he's really good at storytelling when people taunt him saying he's not good enough and doubles <laughs> he, down he with, likes a good challenge yeah, yeah yeah and i admire that because i i strive to find uh scary stories and ones that really captivate your imagination and this is definitely one that i've kept revisiting years and years and years ever since it first aired and i've seen it and I can even rewatch it today and I still enjoy it, even though I know what's going to happen at the end, obviously. Um, I don't know what else I can really say about it, except this is also my favorite Sardar Hotel. I love the the jubilant performance and all the ad lib lines and all the special effects that feed into it. Um, I, I can understand for some people that some scenes may be a little bit drawn out or like it seems stupid to some people that she keeps putting on the specs but if you look at it from like an addiction standpoint or a part of the spell where the more you wear it the more it's like stuck on your face it makes perfect sense and to put it in the end of like the sardo timeline of tales where you know he he he, the the price he pays for his ignorance ultimately catches up with him because other times he's just making up descriptions of cursed objects on the fly and he's able to get away from the situation scot-free or maybe with a little bit of damage like being choked by um frank Corshin from carved stone or 
you know, dealing with his pet rabbit Harold turning into like a gremlin. But in this case, there is there is seemingly no way out. He it's the final straw. I don't know how he's going to get out of that crystal ball unless he can find a better spell in that book to break the cosmic seal and get back to the mansion. Uh, but for all the things I said be be above and for its rewatchability, I got to give it a triple S as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's begin our our round of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Say what? Say what? Say what? What? Say. What? Let me uh, switch to my glasses so I can actually read them better because these super specs are not prescription. I wish they were, but they are not. <laughs> uh, question one, who said it? And just like raise your hand and say or something to that extent so I can know who did it. Or if you know how to use the raise your hand function in Zoom, do that. Uh, question one, who said it? I wouldn't wear those to my funeral. Uh, Sarda, I mean, uh, uh, Richard. I think it was Mary Beth. That it is. Yeah. I wouldn't wear those to my funeral. Come on, MB, lighten up. Two points. Woohoo! Okay. Well, there won't be any math, will there, Brett? Because I don't do math. I'm the only one doing math here. <laughs> okay. And I, I'm keeping score on the scorecard, so I can't screw it up. Uh, question two for two points H O R, sucker, miss this, and you're done. Who said it? Cortland? That was Weed's friend, Mark. That it was. Two points for Cortland's. H-O-R-S, sucker. Miss this, and you're done. Good going. Woohoo! That's a tricky one, because they don't actually say Mark's name in the show. They actually just reveal it in the credits at the end. Oh. oh, see, that's why I was like, it was Weed's friend, but yeah. I assume my don't yeah. bring the Piper. I, don't I mean, I, I would, I would have accepted both answers, just <laughs> as long as you get the person right. Question three, or quote three rather, who said it? You toad, you're one sick little puppy. You know that? Mm. Amethyst. Kristen said that. She did. Two points for you. <laughs> toad. I love that trick. Yeah, well, you're one sick little puppy, you know that? So far, we got a three-way tie. Uh, question four, quote four. For, this one's for three points, so it's a little bit more tricky. Hands on your buzzers. Who said it? Have you seen our vomit? <laughs> <laughs> Glad you buzzed in first, Richard. <laughs> that would be Sato. <laughs> you are indeed correct, and you pronounced it correctly. <laughs> three points for you. Uh, have you seen our vomit? Quote five for three points. Who said it? Man, she should have burned those specs or chucked them in the garage, uh, garbage disposal. Excuse me. Courtney. got this. That was totally Frank. That was Frank. Three points for you, Portland. Man, she should have burned those specs or chucked them in the garbage disposal. Sorry, Amethyst. <laughs> No. Just missed it by a second. And no, you can't blame the, the Malibu lag or Maui lag. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Quote six. This one's for four points. A little bit trickier. Who said it? The story I've got is about three kinds of people. People who believe in magic. People who don't. And people who should. <laughs> Richard. Uh, Gary? That is indeed Gary for four points. The story I've got... Is about three kinds of people. People who believe in magic. People who don't. And people who should. 
Ooh, taking it home, Sardo. Wait, finally. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we'll see who gets this one. Four points for the last quote. There are no ghosts, Arlene. You opened a window into a parallel universe, Sardo. Uh, that was the uh, the woman in black. That is indeed correct for four points. There were no ghosts, Arlene. You opened a window into a parallel universe. I think we should give her a name. I vote for Sardette. I think that'd be a fitting <laughs> name for her. <laughs> okay. <What> I... <laughs> Sorcerina. Sardina. <laughs> Goff's girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it's just crazy enough that it might work. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, those are all great great names. We'll have to post those on Instagram. Oh, see yeah, for sure. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, it's no surprise here. I, I should have made more quotes because I didn't realize we'd get through it so fast. But of course, Richard Dumont, you are the winner with uh, 13 Ooh. points. Lucky 13. Yeah. Or unlucky thank 13, you. depending on who you are. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations, Richard. Well, thank you so uh, much. That's the thing. I'll be waiting for those parting gifts, okay? Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. I'm, I might even send you a poster, too. I got one right here. <laughs> Woo! Talking about them gifts out. today, Richard. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure, I'll send yeah. you something, too, Richard. Wow, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it's your favorite that's, scene. That's cool. Yeah, I made this a while wow. back, but um, when my store shut down, I had some extra prints left over. That is cool. <laughs> I you. like that. That's very nice. Yeah, That's it cool. is. Very nice. Thank you. All right, Gakoids, it's time to leave Sardo's Magic Mansion and call it a day. And uh, maybe take some headache medicine after wearing these super specs all this time. Because, man, I, I feel dizzy after being in an alternate dimension for a couple hours. <laughs> takes a lot out of you, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Like, even wearing my regular glasses, it just doesn't feel the same now. <laughs> kind of disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so closing question for all you Gakoids. What do you imagine a proper sequel to this episode to look like? Or even prequel? Build around the story. I'm really curious what your imagination will come up with. Write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com. Or DM us on Instagram at splatattackpodcast. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, splatattackpodcast. And just interact with us wherever you find us on social media. We're on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all the main places. Uh, lastly, feel free to visit our bonfire store where you can find some cool mugs and shirts to further support our podcast. And if we don't have any designs you want, let us know and we'll make them for you. Richard, Amethyst, and Cortland, thank you so much for joining us today. I also want to, you know, just thank you for being here, talking about this episode review with us and uh, reminiscing down Are You Afraid of the Dark Lane. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? I mean, I'll talk about my show because I'm just so vain here, you guys. Um, I do Up All Night, a horror anthology podcast. I've covered every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark with my co-host, every episode of Goosebumps in the movies, doing Tales from the Crypt now. It's been a fun four years, and it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I, I've had the pleasure and honor of being on Cortland's podcast a couple of times when he did Are You Afraid of the Dark. Talked about Shiny Red Bicycle and my Scary Tales book at the time, so... Uh, mm -hmm. If you ever need someone to talk about Tales from the Crypt, I'd be—I'd love to visit that just because I really don't know much about it except for like two or three episodes. You got it. Cool. 
All right, tune in next time, Gakoids, when we reverse the spell, escape the alternate dimension from Sardo's Magic Mansion, and land in an ancient temple to witness two temple titans duke it out to determine which artifact deserves to sit in your Hall of Fame and which one deserves to be chucked in the garbage when we do our very first Legends of the Hen Temple episode battle between the levitating dog leash of Nostradamus and the jewel-encrusted egg of Catherine the Great. We have one temple runner from each episode joining us for this two-on-two special event. The courageous Jason Corey from the Swift and the Swift uh, Red Jaguar, Kristen Kirkfield, plus a guest judge. So you don't want to miss the adrenaline-fueled double trouble throwdown <laughs> found only here on Slatech. Boy, is that a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. Uh, until then, Cortland, will you drain the slime tank for us, please? I think I'm seeing double. I, I think I need to get rid of these things before I get so dizzy from seeing all the shadow people. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> well, all right, Cole Captain, I'll take those, and I will ask that you not deal with the shadow people anymore. For our sake, I'd rather not know what an alternate version of this podcast would look like. Yeah, me neither. I, I can only imagine what it's like. Welcome to Not Another 90s Nick Podcast, where we talk about such hit shows as Rocket Power, Wild Thornberries, and of our old-time favorite, SpongeBob SquarePants. Ah! Ugh. Ugh. I don't want to imagine what that alternate dimension is like at all. Ugh. Some, some things are just better left unseen. Splash you later, Gakoids. Sounds good. Bye. That's the last time I do a seance for 20 bucks. Uh, I, I will just say goodbye from Maui. Goodbye. Goodbye from Maui. <laughs> <laughs> Reprise the theme song and roll the credits. I reckon it's time for me to go. I'm glad that's over. Now for a peaceful night's sleep. Well, that does it for now. Yeah, we gotta catch a train. Since I'm going home, you can't my arts and crafts project. It's a tweezer holder. Alright, guys. Let's go fuck. How long have we been away? See you soon. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. About your stories, Gary. I shouldn't be telling you this, but... Some of the guys have been saying that they haven't been too scary lately. Who said that? Okay, Mr. Sardo. I'll take... Sardo. No Mr. Accent on the top. Every time I put these stupid specs on, I see... But they could take over. Very, very dangerous, very dangerous. You have tampered with the cosmic seal. Ah!